0: For 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. Welcome to Inside the Hive. I'm Emily Jane Fox. I'm here with my co-host, Joe Hagen. Hi, Joe.
1: Hello, world.
0: We are in... I feel like we're back in a different... It's a different world. It feels similar to the world we were maybe in in April right now. We are seeing... COVID numbers that feel eerily familiar. I I thought we were getting to another side of this, and maybe that was foolish thinking. I think it was thinking about the numbers and as we watched them go down for a while. And then I think we saw people just get incredibly complacent, incredibly bored of staying in their homes. The weather was getting nicer. And as I look at the news every few hours now, I just get scared all over again. How are you feeling, Joe?
1: You know, I haven't changed my behavior that much. I've, I've remained quarantined and mostly semi-quarantined. Um, but now what we're seeing is that all of those good beach parties that Ugh. the young people were having and the lake parties in these other states that weren't having to worry about it at first are starting to have to worry about it. And uh, they've gone New York. And now they're sort of understanding maybe a little bit more intimately what they were seeing on TV um, in the coastal uh, urban areas. And, you know, um, I just am waiting to see whether it has a political outcome, you know, whether or not uh, they look back and say, wow, now I have actually people dying uh, where I, as I didn't before. And now am I going to look at Trump and think about the way the administration handled all of this and maybe second guess that?
0: Well, what's, why, what's wild to me is that when you talk about how, how the administration is handling this, it feels very reminiscent of what happened in March, where you're watching the numbers tick up, watching the numbers tick up, watching the numbers tick up, and there is zero recognition from the administration. At least back then, we had those daily briefings from the, the COVID team. You had Anthony Fauci, you had Dr. Birx. We have nothing now. There is silence as we are in a situation that is deadly for a large swath of this country in very different reasons. It's not the coastal elite anymore. It's the middle of the country. It's the panhandle. And it doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. And there's no leadership from the top. There really isn't. I don't even feel the same kind of leadership from the governors at this point. I feel like everyone's just kind of throwing up their hands and saying, well, let's open those gyms and nail salons back up again. It feels wild to me. And I feel like all it would take is something as simple as the president saying, wear a mask. What is what is his hesitancy? He is a famous germaphobe, right? This is what gets yep. me. I'm I'm a famous germaphobe. I'm, <laughs> I'm a crazy person when it comes to this. And I... And screaming from the rooftop for everyone to wear masks. I just don't understand why our president wouldn't say that. And as you and I were discussing earlier, we now have this added problem to the mix, and that is that there are conventions that are coming.
1: Yeah. Well, just to what you're saying, I mean, the Trump lives in an alternate reality, right? He creates a kind of like fan fiction version of America that is not actually existing. And you keep wondering... How distant from reality uh, can his followers get before they snap right or before it snaps back on them mm. in a real way you know mortality people they know dying and I'm looking at these conventions that he's thinking about having in uh, Jacksonville in in uh, in August and he's got a 15,000 uh, seat auditorium uh, ready and he's they're trying to recruit 10,000 volunteers. They're already said they're not going to wear masks. They're not going to socially distance or require any of it. And you're thinking, well, you're in a state, by the way, Florida, which is spiking right now, or at least that area is spiking. And so you wonder, um, are they just um, being, well, as usual, belligerent, almost aggressively belligerent, in order to prove some point about their version of America? And to what end? Like to be cowboys and die in the blazing gun battle uh, You know, against COVID-19? It's just completely ridiculous.
0: I mean, Jacksonville in August seems crazy, period. Jacksonville yeah. this August <laughs> seems particularly yeah. crazy. Speaking of crazy, we have a very exciting guest on this week. Uh, I had the pleasure of having our friend Nick Bilton back on Inside the Hive, which I think was a real homecoming for him. And we got to talking about the forthcoming election. He had a lot to say about polling and why we should not get complacent even seeing uh, where the polling is right now. We have a long ways to go before we sleep. And we talked all about Social media. I think uh, there's no one who I would rather talk about Facebook and Twitter with than Nick. I think you would agree on that. And he had a lot to say about Mark Zuckerberg as it relates to Black Lives Matter, as it relates to hate speech on his platform, as it relates to how history will look at him and Facebook. And uh, it was just super interesting. And I'm excited for, for you to hear, Joe, and for all of our listeners to hear as well.
1: I'm excited. Let's get into it.
0: This feels like a homecoming of sorts. I'm very. A homecoming
1: of sorts. A
0: homecoming of epic proportions. How about that? I what have epic. Nick built in here with me, which is the most exciting set of words I could say as we press record on this podcast. Nick, hello.
2: Hello, welcome to Inside the Hive. It's Nick motherfucking Bilton in the house. Have you been
0: waiting for three months to say those words?
2: I say it in the shower every morning. I just like I grab a bar of soap and I just like, you know, solemnly say,
0: welcome to Inside the Hive. This is your host. It's like your affirmation where you write on the mirror and lipstick like I am beautiful.
2: Yeah, and then, I, and then I send myself fake email, hate emails being like, I hate your voice and you hummed in the wrong direction and you got this thing wrong. And, and then I feel like I'm, I'm the host of a, a podcast again. So there you go. There,
0: you're really home. Does it feel like you're... Oh, there's my dog. There's We've my got, dog. We've got barking dogs. There's, this there's is good. At least
2: they're not my barking dogs this time. Well,
0: she's, she's just so excited to have you back. She couldn't keep it inside anymore. Um, does it feel like when you go back to high school... Where you're like, everything looks a little smaller, but it smells the same?
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny, actually. Uh, I haven't been back to high school in quite a while, but I can imagine that that is what it feels like, a lot smaller. Well, I know you were Uh, a
0: madman in high school in a way that you've evolved
2: out of since then. I want to stop for a second, Uh and congratulations is in order for me. First, and then I guess for you second. Couldn't agree uh, more. Because because um, I am going to get some sort of reward in heaven uh, when when I get there, hopefully in a long time from now. Uh, because you got engaged this last week, and it was my introduction that started this whole thing in the first place. So congratulations. Thank
0: you. I give you... A hundred percent credit. Can I, Nick, can I read part of the, the setup that you made? Oh
2: yeah, you should totally. Okay. The so, so, so let's, let's backtrack back and tell the story very quick. So, um, uh, I have, a, uh, some friends that are single and, uh, and my wife and I are constantly looking for people to set people up with so that they can live, uh, an equally happy, uh, life as, as we are so fortunate to, to lead with our family and our kids and whatnot. And, um, and, I, uh, I, Lee, uh, my friend Lee Eisenberg was in New York working on a TV show, uh, and Emily Jane Fox just happened to live in New York uh, at the time. and, And I thought, huh, these two would get along like a house on fire, both smart. And thoughtful and amazing. And so I sent the following text message. I'm going to read, read it. it away. I'm going to read it
0: in, in my voice, but just picture Nick's voice reading it. <laughs> Lee Eisenberg, please meet Emily Jane Fox. Emily, meet Lee, who was in New York for the first year, future doing X, Y, and Z. I don't need to get into it. Then you said, I'm pretty sure, though I could be wrong, that if you both go out for a drink together, you'll get married, have kids, and name them after me. Can't guarantee it, but it's just a theory.
2: It's mind and blowing. It, I, I, you know, it's so funny, and and we won't talk about this too long because we have a lot of news yes. to get to. But what is so funny is like, I actually had this weird gut feeling when I sent that 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 I was like, you should hold on to this text message because it will come back.
0: Well, and it did and come AAR. back. I am... And congratulations.
2: Very excited. Very, we are eternally
0: exciting. grateful. We will give you our firstborn.
2: And... Oh, uh, no, no. I don't want the firstborn. <laughs> born. You, you didn't... know.
0: <laughs> well, you have our endless, eternal <laughs> gratitude and... You have like a, a few major favors that if you ever need, we can't say no for the rest of time. Just okay, know you, cool. you, you so lord know that, that over us. Ca- you hold that over our heads. We know it. You if know it. my car it.
2: breaks down in the You're middle of the You're thinking too desert. small,
0: my friend. You're thinking too small. <laughs> but but we love you. We love you forever. And that we have this text message is really such a such a great thing. And you've made me happier than I ever thought I could be. And now we can talk about news that is bigger than my personal engagement.
2: That there's nothing bigger than, than I couldn't than agree your more, life. but I don't
0: think anyone wants to, wants to hear about it. Um let me let me back up and just give you a 10,000-foot view of why I'm dying to talk to you this week. The world is on fire and at the center of 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 all of the fires that are happening around us comes all the people and all the things that you know best and that you know more than most people. And uh, what is happening both with the pandemic and in politics right now and in the world at large are all circling around social media and around social media executives and around technology and technology executives in a way that I guess we could have seen coming, but it it surprised me how... uh, central, all of these people and all of these companies are, uh, both in terms of the coming election, in terms of the protests that have happened, and in terms of coronavirus. And I just want to know what the fuck you think is happening and, and what is keeping you up or what is keeping you engaged as someone who knows these people, who knows these companies inter- intimately, and who has been following what is happening closer than just about anybody.
2: Okay. So I'm going to start. I have something I want to say before I answer that question. And it is actually partially an answer to that question. And I'm going to curse. I'm just going to warn you that. So earmuffs, if there's any kids in the car listening. I want To tell the pollsters and the people tweeting about the polls and the people sharing pictures of polls about Trump losing to go fuck themselves. Because the polls are the biggest bunch of fucking nonsense on the fucking planet right now. Yeah, amen. It is so fucking frustrating that people are – all day today, we're we're recording this on Wednesday, it'll be the same tomorrow, and the day after that – all day, people have been tweeting this new New York Times poll that puts Biden in a 13- or 14-point lead against Trump as if the fucking election is done already. And it is such utter nonsense. There there are so many things that will happen between now and, and four and a half months from now. There are things that will happen the day before the election that will change the outcome of the election. Hello, James Comey. So anyone me. that thinks – yeah, James Comey the, – the, uh, my, my bet, honestly, is that like Biden trips over and falls or, or Trump does or something like that. Like something as, as, as little and innocuous as that could literally change the outcome of the election. And so anyone that's like gloating and touting and saying Trump's – like here's the reality. If you want to talk about a poll number, the reality is that poll, that Trump's polling is exactly where it was a week ago, a month ago. A year ago, four years ago, it has not changed. It is between 38 and 43%, and I think that is literally about about who picks up the phone and answers it. And I think that anyone that thinks that that the the, the polls are indicative of the fact that he's going to lose is going to watch him win. And so I just want to say that that brings me back to the answer to my question. So this last week, uh, um, I like to watch comedy shows. Uh, It's like a fun you know, it's, I, I think comedy is one of the few ways it's actually uh, able to penetrate our culture and address some of the issues that we're not necessarily allowed to talk about, sure. depending on the color of your skin or or where you're from or how old you are, or all these different things. And comedy can somehow, not all the time, but a lot of the time, can get around that. And we uh, ended up, we were watching Netflix and David, Dave Chappelle and Hannah Gatsby, who's Unreal, incredible, Uh, and we and uh, and then Netflix suggested uh, Louis C.K., who of course has been cancelled, and um, and I was like, oh, I I never saw this one. I think Louis C.K. is a very funny comedian, so we clicked on it and figured like, oh, let's let's watch it. It's from 2017, so Trump was president at the time, and it's like it. What is so staggering when you watch it is there's like racial jokes in there that would today would never fly. There's there's jokes around – those misogynistic jokes that today would never, ever, ever, ever be, be brought up on a stage. Mm. And all these things that he's bringing up that you watch for like – even for like 20 minutes and you're like, holy shit. Like this is only 2017 and it feels so insanely dated. And the thing that it made me realize is that what social media and technology has done, which brings us back to the polls here, is that – it speeds everything up right you know the you know there are people that have been talking about oh without social media we wouldn't have the black lives matter movement and this that and the other that's total nonsense you know social media didn't exist when the uh the civil rights movement took place and it was it was far better organized back then i would would add um what it did was it just took a tremendous amount of time to organize that movement mm. in the 60s whereas it can take mere seconds to organize something in the in the current state and i think what it does is it's it's sped everything up we see the polls polls didn't really exist before there was something that only were internal really to to a lot of um, a lot of campaigns once in a while, there were polls that were put out on TV, but they were they weren't by a, an hour-by-hour hour basis, and 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 they weren't and they weren't reflected on as as the the standard thing that we would see. Well, you would see them in, the, in the newspaper,
0: right? You would see them on the nightly news, and then you would have thoughtful people digesting and putting into context what those were. Reporters who who covered this exactly. day in day out. Uh, anchors who were able to put them into both immediate context and in context of, of what that's like every four or eight years. Right now what you have is you have people who don't understand the polls, people who don't read the methodology, people do, who do not have the context at all pontificating and sharing, and then they get shared tens of thousands of times without any of that. And so they, be, they take on a life of their own and an importance that they do not deserve
2: that's that's no, the insane. problem and, and 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 it and i think that we look at we look at the role social media has played and we say without it we wouldn't have all the things that have happened and we wouldn't have found out about george floyd and so on and so forth there's an argument to be made to say well that is correct but there's also an argument to be made that says hey maybe that's not correct rodney king we found out about with a over the shoulder crappy Betamax VHS, whatever the hell it was, video camera. It just ended up on the nightly news. What has happened, what, what social media does is it, is it, is it, exacerbates what technology does in general is it exacerbates the thing it puts a magnifying glass on it it makes things happen faster it makes things happen uh, um, it, it, at a speed that we've never ever seen before in history and when that happens there are times that things don't happen in the way that they are supposed to and I think that um, I think that it's been a, what's been so eye opening for me in the last just during quarantine the last hundred days or so has been being able to kind of take a minute and take a knee and watch and watch that and, and digest it and understand it, and I think that that it, it, there's a good side to it. There's an insanely, insanely, amazingly good side to it, but there's an insanely bad side to it. And you you see it play out. You've got Trump, and then you've got Black Lives Matter, and you've got people like Weinstein who are who are in jail, and then you have people who are canceled for you know literally a a joke tweet or that went wrong or or wearing the wrong halloween costume 20 years ago or whatever it is and we can argue the merits of that but i think that that my realization has been that um everything is happening a little too quickly um and that it's going to we're going to kind of we're going to somehow need to figure out how to slow things down. well the
0: the you you said it exactly right that that and I, I probably fall down a little bit closer to the side of the immediacy of being able to see these videos, the ability to have a cell phone camera wherever you go in your pocket and capture injustice where you see it, when you see it. That's an incredibly powerful and important tool. And I think it will only get more powerful and more important as we move on. But the the fact of the matter is that we don't take a breath. Social media has yeah. eliminated the breath. and. You need that breath. You need, as reporters, we take that breath all the time, especially as magazine reporters. Like, we have the freedom, and we are incredibly lucky to have it, to have a story out there that daily reporters are sort of having to crank out on a daily basis. And we take that breath, right? That's how we get the richness in the stories that we tell. And we get to talk to a lot of people and ask people to put things in context for us. And our stories get richer and richer and richer. And we're able to provide the people that we're writing for with that service. And social media has just completely eliminated that breath. And the consequences to eliminating that are really, really high. And I think that we're starting to see them.
2: Here's the question. So that what you said in the beginning of, of what you started saying, you said um, that that cell phone camera in our pocket is incredibly powerful. Social media doesn't need to exist for that cell phone camera to be able to be shared. Totally. I mean, here's a perfect example. Um, you know the I I, I don't I, I I don't really know how to describe this in in any less of a crude way, but the picture of the very large man with a very large penis that was shared on uh, on text messages through Corona? Nick, you my mother that? is
0: listening to this. But yes, I did see it, obviously. Uh, okay, no, but
2: you but you saw it, right? Yeah, obviously. Every single person I know saw it. It was never shared on social media, mm. right? Mm-hmm. No one ever shared those, those crude pictures and those crude text messages, uh, as funny as they were, on social media. And so therefore, my question is, does social media need to exist in the way that it does for these movements to take place let's take that 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 picture and those those numerous pictures uh that were shared of um of the man with the very large penis right Please. and replace them with <laughs> no and replace them with things that are important like Videos of police brutality or Me Too related content and things like that. Could that the I, I don't know the answer to this question, but could they have the same impact and uh, in and be uh, as impactful, but without the consequence of social media um, if they were not shared on that social media?
1: You are listening to Inside the Hive.
2: In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away, there's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst
1: killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of sh- Derek Hamilton was put away for murder by Detective
2: Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his
1: generation
0: and the lawyer was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom.
1: Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars.
0: We never knew we had the same cop in the case. It's Garcella.
1: We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden starting March 19th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts.
0: Can I play this out for you for a second? The the movement without the media, for a second. So how would it, if if you are a, a Black Lives Matter organizer i think so Mm -hmm. much of of what we've seen over the last few weeks has been people hashtagging and so people knew where to show up and people knew that this protest was going to be here and this was going to be a peaceful protest and it was organized by these exact people so you sort of knew what you were getting into right and obviously Mm -hmm. people have organized protests long before social media but i think that the proliferation of these protests at this particular moment was definitely aided by the ability for people to connect and to vet and to see what was happening in real time. So in twenty twenty, how do you have that kind of organization without using a hashtag but, for people but to know? You,
2: but my argument is I look, I think I truly do believe that social media has has made the world a much better place, but I also think it has made the world a much worse place at the same time. I think that, you know, there's a reason that you have some of the Worst leadership in so many countries around the globe, uh, England, Brazil, America, that, and I could go on and on and on, uh, where, and I I think that the reaction, it is a, a direct reaction to misinformation, fear, all of these things that have existed for a long time. But I think that at the same time, go back to the civil rights movement they organized they used phone calls they organized buses people didn't have cars they organized buses to pick people up they organized marches they it was it was all done i'm not saying that the black lives matter movement was not done thoughtfully i just think that it's again it's it's like we've got to run out into the streets and we've got to do this and i i think that the question that is still left to be answered is is it going to affect change like i had deray on the podcast um mm-hmm. Last year, uh, DeRay McKenzie, and he he helped reorganize the Black Lives Matter movement in um, Ferguson. And I remember, and I still think about this all the time, I remember him saying, you know, what was crazy was after we left, police violence against African Americans went up mm. uh, because there was so much more tension. And and I guess the question is, is, is this actually going to lead to change, you know – or is it just going to draw more of a divide? And I don't know the answer. No one knows the answer. But I think that we underestimate the power of people to affect change without social media. I'm not saying the technology, I'm saying that the, the technology, like what, 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 something I'd lay awake thinking about at night is imagine how many people must have gone through what George Floyd went through for the last a hundred years sure. or 200 years or whatever it was, um, before there were cell phone cameras. Yeah. I mean, it must, the list could be go on for, for, for years. And, and, and I think that, that I've always, I mean, this is the thing I've always struggled with. Technology is a tool, right? It can be used for good and it can be used for bad. And it always is used for both. You have nuclear power that, that keeps the lights on and you have nuclear bombs that blow, blow up houses yes. and, and kill people. And, and I think that, I think that there's a, a a there is an opportunity to try to build in systems to technologies that ensure that they are not used as nefariously and easily for nefarious purposes. Well the as responsibility
0: they are. for that lies on its leaders, right? So whether Correct, or not exactly. this this ends up being as you said a binary choice between Technology being a source for or a force for good and technology being a force for evil lies on the people who make decisions about how that technology is used, what the systems are in place so people can't abuse it, and I think we are seeing a true dearth of leadership from the most important leaders. And some people are trying. I don't know if they're trying the right way. And I am so curious what you think. We're obviously seeing a divide between how Facebook is handling this and how Twitter is handling this, and how Snapchat is handling this. I don't know if that any of them are getting it right, but some people seem to be trying harder than others.
2: Well, I think that, you know, it's interesting. When I talk to people inside Facebook, you know, they talk about how thoughtful Mark, zuckerberg is and how he you know really thinks believes in free speech and this that and the other and um and i and then you talk you know and you talk to people inside twitter and you know jack has been very very nervous to jack dorsey's been nervous to kind of pick a pick a side with anything you know jack really wants to be liked um that's that's you know the the number one thing for him and i think and and I don't think he's a bad guy. I think he's done some shitty things in boardrooms, but I guess who hasn't? But like but I think that he he is he has has, has always had a lot of trepidation about making big and important decisions and he finally, you know, uh, we can give him credit for finally starting to label Trump's tweets. We can not give him credit for not doing it 4 years ago. Sure. Um, you know, someone once told me who worked at Twitter, you know, we have a um uh, an ad policy, and we have a, a, a you know a violence policy, and we have all these policies, but we don't have a Trump policy, and and they're now just starting to do this. I actually think that that Evan Spiegel was right on when he said, like, this is my business. This is my First Amendment right to decide if I want someone on it or if I don't. You can't. There's no. This is not a government mm. entity that's owned by you know uh, by the federal government, and and I think that that what where I think that zuckerberg um is 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 at fault the most is let's just for a second unpack this and pretend that zuckerberg truly does believe in free speech okay great sure we live in a society where there are limitations on your free speech and this is this is the freest country on the planet sure right there is no country that has more freedom than the united states however you cannot walk into a theater the classic one and yell fire and people run out and get hurt without without suffering the consequences you learn this in we'll
0: in middle school in the us yeah, yeah.
2: I, you, you also you cannot mail threats to people in the mail uh I, um, either you can't email them you can't mail them physically you can't fax them you can go to jail for that yep. you can you can be fined and you could go this and there's all these different things that you cannot do there are there's the great um twitter account a uh, law a day which tweets a law every single day and like some random ones like you can't you know, chew chewing gum while walking backwards on certain city streets, like just like bizarre things. I don't even know if that's a real one, but probably. Uh, but, but the thing, the reality is, is we live in a society, if I walked into a restaurant right now and started screaming obscenities, I would be kicked out of the restaurant. Sure. And so Mark Zuckerberg has a responsibility to ensure that in his restaurant, someone is not making other other patrons feel uncomfortable. So it's not about we should give Nazis free speech or we should let Trump attack people and make up bullshit lies. It's the reality is is that w- there are rules that exist throughout every aspect of this country and they should exist on social media. Do you, how, how much of
0: it do you think is is Zuckerberg believing in free speech and and being a staunch supporter of the first amendment and how much of it is do you think that mark zuckerberg doesn't want to get regulated by the government so he wants to play by trump's rules
2: i actually think he does want to be regulated by the government a little bit i think that there are certain aspects of the uh, they, there, there are certain aspects of what facebook does where they are hoping for regulation for two reasons from what i've heard the first reason is like the way that the way that and i covered this company from the beginning um when i was at the times and they broke a lot of rules Uh, to become as big as they are a tremendous amount and zuckerberg was always like "Ask for forgiveness not for permission you know they were fined by the ftc like they did a lot of very shady shit um, to get as big as they are there is nothing that mark zuckerberg would love more than for the things that he did to be illegal so that no one else could do them Mm -hmm. and ever be as big as facebook so there is that aspect of it the other aspect of it i think is that There are certain decisions that that Facebook doesn't want to have to make um, and around, you know, uh, advertising and if you can target people based on race or whatever, right? And I think that they would love for the government to say these are the rules and this is how it works and that's what you do. But I think that when it comes to free speech, you know, it's interesting because when I talk to people who work at Facebook, they say – that Mark legitimately cares about free speech and that he believes that everyone should be open to it and it's difficult for him as a Jewish man allowing people who believe in the the Holocaust deniers and so on and so forth or, 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 or Nazis to be on the platform, but he also believes that you should have free speech in that regard. That's what people tell me. I actually don't buy that, to be totally honest. I think that if... I don't think Zuckerberg is someone who really gives a shit what people think of him. Um, uh, I think for him, he sees the much bigger, grander goals behind everything than that. Mm. And I think that if he really believed in something, he would stand behind it and risk whatever, you know, whatever people would say about him. And I think the reality is it's a better business model to do what he's doing. Um, I think that there, there are people I've spoken to at Facebook have talked about the algorithms have shown that. If there and this is all public information like the algorithms have shown that that the more divisive um, a post is the more engagement it gets um, they intentionally do not get rid of that stuff they want people arguing and fighting and this that and the other and like it it leads to more engagement and I think at the end of the day um, history will not remember what Mark Zuckerberg has done kindly I just truly don't think I don't think that they will look back at him as a Henry Ford. Um, or a Rockefeller, even though those guys did fucked up stuff too. But like, I don't think that th- they're still remembered as as people who changed society in a positive way. Um, I think that uh, Mark will be remembered much more akin to, to a bit of a monster. Well, there's a
0: there's a difference between being someone who reinvented the way that the world wo- works and providing a, a completely different new technology or tool to move innovation forward. I, I think that there's no argument that you can make that says Mark Zuckerberg didn't change the world, but that doesn't mean Mark Zuckerberg changed the world for good. And I think that there's a real distinction there. As I hear you talk about Facebook's business model, and it's really interesting to hear you talking about how it's just better business for them to be in the business of creating irresponsible controversy that could lead to human lives uh, and, and, and affecting our free elections in this country. I'm wondering what you think about the current, Ad revolt that we're seeing. We're seeing a number of companies like Ben & Jerry's, Patagonia, North Face. I saw Eileen Fisher, the women's clothing brand today, came out and announced uh, that they would be pulling their ads for July. Does it matter to Facebook, bottom line? I guess that's the only way that this sort of ad revolt matters, right, is if it really affects their revenue in a meaningful way and if they're willing to actually make the changes regarding the rules around hate speech that would would appease these advertisers and the organizers who are banning them together?
2: So it's a good question. It is the the one time that I have heard um, where things are actually, where change is affected in Silicon Valley is when money is at stake. And um, I spoke to someone who worked at YouTube, very, very high up at YouTube, who said that they did very little to combat all the really bad videos, the the crazy conspiracy theory videos, or the, um, you know, just really, really awful things that are shared on there and created. Um, They did very little to combat them until advertisers pulled out. And then they would point every single engineer they could at solving the problem, and they would figure it out in a few days, and then the advertisers would come back. And and there was times that the company was lost a tremendous amount of money as a result of that. I think three or four advertisers walking away from Facebook, and then st- still they're still on Instagram. At least the North Face is. I'm not sure about the others. So it's like really okay. So you're you're you're. It's like not going to a restaurant because you're. You know, taking a stand because they uh, they let Nazis eat in, in there, but you're you're okay, like getting takeout. Mm. You know, it's like the same same as that. Um, but I think that that the um, that if enough advertisers actually do start to pull out of advertising on Facebook, it it, it will have an impact, and and that Zuckerberg will have to reevaluate. Um, you know, he's been through; it's been a pretty hectic four years for him. Um, uh, you know, he, Cambridge Analytica, uh, you know, um, all of the the Nazi stuff on the platform. Um, during Corona, he had a bunch of employees that uh, said that they didn't agree with the speech um, from Donald Trump on the platform. Some left. They got a tremendous amount of, of, of coverage. He had all of these scientists, 143 scientists from the, the Chan Zuckerberg initiative, who, who wrote a letter saying that they didn't feel comfortable taking funding from him under these circumstances. Of course, they still took the funding. Um, they, you know, it's on and on and on. And and he does – he hasn't backed down. He, you know, he's he's. – there's been reports in the last couple of weeks that he's – he had dinner. Ben Smith at the Times reported that Zuckerberg and Trump had dinner with Peter Thiel. Jared um, and Ivanka were there. Uh, the White House and Jared and Ivanka were there. Obviously. Like You know, there's – it's – Uh, It's just, I think that at the end of the day, here's my theory, and this is total speculation. Let's hear it. At the end of the day, who do you know that uses Facebook? It's your mom, your dad, and your grandparents. Yeah. There's no teenagers that use that platform. And I wrote a piece about this, about how Facebook has become home to the people, the conservatives on the right, and Twitter has become home to the liberals on the left. And that's because it's all the media people. And, and I think at the end of the day, Zuckerberg understands that Facebook is an old person's platform, if you – for want of a better description, um, and that if he were to start stifling conservative speech – He would be stifling conservative old people who would probably not be very happy, and so for him, it's just not in his best interest. And I think it's disappointing. Um, You know, I would if 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 it were me, and I had fifteen thousand engineers or whatever the number is that work for him uh, these days, um, I would be like, you know what? This is a really big problem, and I don't want my kids to grow up in a world where. Nazis exist and can have a, have as loud a voice as they had in the 1940s. Um, I'm going to do everything I can to figure out how to stop this. And, you know, I think I always come back to this crazy moment where Facebook with their, all their brilliance and their genius said that they couldn't solve, um, uh, people, um, the people sharing stories about like vax -vax Mm anti-vax stories, right? Oh, it's too difficult. It to would require all these things. Pinterest comes along and they're like, oh, we just literally made it so you can't search the word anti-vax on Pinterest. And it all went away. Sure. Like it's 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 not that difficult. It's fixable. If you can, if you can it's fixable. Like I could fix it, and I'm I'm not as, half as smart as half of these people working for Mark Zuckerberg. Like it's just it's fixable. It's just they don't want to fix you it. You have to have and the appetite to fix it.
1: You are listening to Inside the Hive. Three, two, one. Political Breakdown is a daily politics podcast from KQED in San Francisco that goes deep into the issues you care about.
0: I have to say, all of this, as you're explaining it to me, just sounds so much like Fox News. It sounds exactly, exactly like Fox theory. News to me. And and yes. when you're talking about the odd boycott stuff, I kept thinking about Bill O'Reilly, right? The, the tipping point for firing Bill O'Reilly was not Bill O'Reilly's behavior. They knew about Bill O'Reilly's behavior. They settled with women who were complaining about Bill O'Reilly's behavior. They, they were not only aware of it, they were complicit in, in it. And they didn't fire him until his advertisers started to revolt, right? And, yep. and it's yep. so crazy to me because the only person who survived something like that is Tucker Carlson. They currently have people oh, no. pulling out of advertising in a show and they still have kept him on air because his ratings are so good. I don't know how long that lasts, but it's a, it's a wild thing. But it just reminds me so much of the same thing. It's, it, the audience is the, exactly the same. The behavior is exactly the same. And I guess, does, does Mark Zuckerberg want to be Rupert Murdoch? Or does he want to be a force for good in this country?
2: I don't think he wants to be a force for good. I think maybe he thinks he is, but, you know, he's surrounded by yes men and yes women. And he, um, you know, I think, I don't think there's a lot of people like you and me that spend a lot of time with Mark Zuckerberg. Um, uh, I think, you know, in the same respect of Rupert Murdoch is, is not really very close with a lot of liberal elites, you know, I think that, um, or, or Donald Trump for that matter, there's just, there, there's a personality, but I think what, what I've always thought and felt about Zuckerberg is that, you know, when you look at his platform and there's what, 2.8 billion people or whatever it is on the platform, you or I would be like, holy shit, there's 2.8 billion people looking at this thing that I did. That's insane. like I need to make sure this is the greatest thing ever. And I think Mark looks at it and thinks, well, where are the other few billion yep. that I could get on here? Why are they not on here yet? And like and that it's, you know, it's like Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, they all kind of are cut from a very similar cloth, Elon Musk. they uh, there's just no number that's ever enough. it's a, it's a it's the same affliction that I think. Um, some famous people go through where, like, they win the Academy Award, but oh, well, I need two Academy Awards, or like, I didn't, I'm not the A list, I'm not, I get paid a million dollars less than this A list celebrity, or why am I not on the cover? And like, it's like, it's a disease that, um, that, that, that it's nothing's ever enough. There's a, I mean,
0: there's a Bruce Springsteen lyric that I often think of in this kind of situation and it's poor man wanna be rich, rich man wanna be king, king ain't satisfied until he rules everything, right? So it's just mm-hmm. there's just a a personality trait or a longing that what you have is never enough. These people are never content with what they have. And what it ends up leading to is just blinding greed. And I think Mark yeah. Zuckerberg has let his blinding greed stop him from doing what's right for the world and for making political yeah, decisions and- that are coming from a place of of moral right And it's just, I couldn't agree more with you that this is just going to end up in the history books in a way that he's not, he's not thinking of right now.
2: I completely agree. And I, I, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I had this thought this week about how, um, I was talking to someone about, um, uh, someone who was over at our house, social distance, don't worry, we were in the backyard. I know who how you roll. Is a uh, who, <laughs> who is a conservative, who is a conservative, voted for Trump, um, and we were talking about the New York Times, and I was I was saying how I believe personally, and a lot of people will disagree with me on this, but I believe that, that most journalists, I mean, I don't believe that there's anyone out there on this planet who doesn't have a viewpoint on certain things, um, Especially when it comes to like kids being separated from their parents at the border, like little kids. There's right and left, either... and then there's
0: right and wrong. And I think that as a yes. reporter, you're allowed to have a viewpoint on right and wrong.
2: Yes, and I think that like it is ludicrous to say that you don't that you can cover something like that and leave your emotions at the door. It's just impossible. Sure. I just It's 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 and and so this person, this this conservative, was saying like, well, is is. Is, are these publications conservative and liberal and so on and so forth? Are the journalists that way? Like, is it a grand conspiracy? And I said, first of all, there's no conspiracy anywhere at a massive organization unless it's, like, three people because no one can keep a secret. No. Like, it's just impossible. Like, just – there's – it's just insane to think that, like, everyone on planet Earth is in, like, that works for NASA is in on the Earth being flat. Like, give me a friggin' break. Like w- – when it comes to journalism, I believe that I I believe that people should be more open about how they feel and say that they are going to do their best to not let it color their viewpoints. If it's a beat that they cover, or if it's the beat that they don't cover, to to cover a beat that's not something that they care about as much as a topic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and more from a journalistic standpoint. And and I was saying that Daniel Ockrent, who was the first ombudsman at the new york times i remember the last column he wrote was is the new york times a liberal media outlet and he said yes it, it without a without a doubt is and he as he he ascribed that to being the fact that it, it was based in new york city which is a largely liberal place where liberal people live it, it is filled with people who went to liberal arts colleges to write and that that by and large, those are more liberal-leaning folks, and who believe in the arts and this, that, and the other. And he said, so it's not like the the paper by itself is this larger force trying to push its liberal agenda. It's just that some of the people there obviously have a certain viewpoint, and that's the way they lean. And um, whereas, like place like the Journal, it's much more like business-oriented reporters and and, and things like that. And I was thinking about this quote about, you know, the famous quote, like, you know, uh, uh, from Churchill, where he says, history will be kind to me for I intend to write Mm -hmm. it. And I think the reality is, is that history will be kinder to people on the left and less so to people on the right, because it is those liberal viewpoints that are going to be the ones that largely write Mm -hmm. it. And so I think that, at the end of the day trump will not be remembered kindly period zuckerberg will not be remembered kindly period and i think that that is just the hand that these people chose to chose to pe- to take and 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 there's nothing they can do to change it i
0: don't think that they're going to not be remembered kindly because there were liberal people who were writing the stories i think that they it's, will not be remembered kindly because they are putting children in cages or, or the president is putting children in cages and Mark Zuckerberg is allowing Nazis free reign over his, his platform. And I, I well, hope that whoever yes, would be point. writing that in, yes. in 50 years from now would not remember them kindly for those decisions that they've made.
2: Yes, but that's my point yes. is that you're not going to have, they're not going to get to write what how they're remembered. Sure. It's going to be someone who remembers this in the reality of what it was. Exactly. And that is right versus left. I'm sorry, not, um, right versus wrong. Not right um, versus And left. I think that, um, yeah, right versus wrong. And so and it is the people who are leaning in that direction who are going to be the ones that write the history of them. And that history is not gonna look kindly mm. on someone who, who who thought that Nazis should have a place to have a conversation about their Nazi hating Nazisms.
0: I'm I am with uh, you. I am I'm with uh, you. Uh,
1: you are listening to Inside the Hive.
0: And I want to ask you one final question before I let you go. I know you have some sourdough starter to get back to. (laughs) Um, If you had to call it today, who's winning on November 3rd?
2: I'm going to answer that with one final answer. Fuck the fucking polls. Do not believe them. Do not listen to them. Nothing. I don't actually honestly know. I really truly don't. I think that... You know, you and I both are on the same page about this. Biden was our our, our last pick of our last pick of our last pick. I, I like, how the Democratic Party landed on this guy at 77 years old. Like, you know, it just – it's just beyond – it's just truly beyond my comprehension. Mm. Like, I get they didn't want Sanders, but it's like, okay, this, but this is our horse. You know, it's like – it's a little bandaged up and, uh, and you know – God knows what's going to happen in the next four months. But like I've spoken to people who are conservatives who hate Trump, who are like regret the fact that they voted for him. But at the same time, don't they. One line that was said to me is I don't want a shadow government being run, um, you know, by someone who, who like Biden, who clearly doesn't seem like he's, you know, with it completely. Um, The question is, you know, I, my response was you could literally uh, – I my dog had just taken a poop actually at the time as I was having this conversation. And I, was, and I pointed to the poop and I said, you could literally put that poop uh, up on the voting booth versus, next to Trump and I'd vote for the poop. And so the question is, is, are there enough people that feel the same way that once voted for Trump? So I don't know.
0: Well, the, the moral is fuck the fucking polls. I agree with you. Um, I think it depends on, on where the economy is in – Four and a half months from now, I think that that will be the largest driver. And I think, and I feel like I say this every week and I will say until I'm blue in the face, we need people to be able to vote. So yep. if people yep. are able to vote and not have to stand out lo- outside in a line for eight hours worrying about contracting coronavirus then I think we're going to have a very different story on November 4th. If, if people are suppressed, if they're standing in line, if they're worried about getting sick and so they stay home, then you're going to have a, a second term for President Trump. So if you want to do anything right now, I think your money and your time and your voice is best spent figuring out how everyone can get to the bowls safely in November.
2: And I think... And I think that if you live in a state where you can vote by mail, you should tell every single person you know to start that process because I do it every year, every, and it's like, you, even the times I've forgotten to put it in the mailbox and I drop it off and you just skip the line and you hand it and you're like, wait, that, that, it was that easy? Really? Yeah. It's just, it's, you don't need to stand in the line if you don't have to stand in the line. Just vote by mail. L- last quick question. Who do you think is going to be the VP pick? Oh, I
0: I really, I have no idea. I have no idea. I think that this, I think he's going to choose a a black woman for the ticket. That's who I think he's going to choose. I think that there are a lot of great candidates for that. I think it should be in that direction. I'm really excited to have a woman of color on the ticket. It's really, really awesome to me. I'm excited for your boys to see that in, in their early lifetime. But I don't know... Beyond that, who is going to be? Who is your take? Kamala Harris. Mm, interesting. All right.
2: I think that I. I think that look, she's a politician's politician. She does the whole like, you know, the fake wave and the you know whatever. But she is incredibly smart. Um. Uh. She she doesn't put up with shit from anyone. Like you know she. Um. Uh. And I think that you. I think that if she, if. If she is, if it's Kamala and um, uh, and she and and they end up winning, um, I think she will, um, she will actually have a huge impact on a lot of things we've been talking about today, uh, police reform, uh, you know, social media, uh, hate speech, all these different things. These are all, um, things that I think that she would actually, she would, she would, you would see some changes. She, you know, I met her, covering these tech companies and her like enacting, going after them when she was attorney general, um, for their, um, lack of privacy issues and so on and so forth. And, and I think that she's someone who gets it and would, would try to affect change. So we'll see.
0: We shall see indeed, Nick, this is the best. Anytime you want to come home to your, to your old high school, we'll be smaller (laughs) and, and smell the same and ready for you.
2: Well, I have a big feature I'm working on for the magazine, so when it comes out uh, in a month or so, I will be back. And in the meantime, do not pay attention to those polls, people. Fuck the fucking polls. Fuck the fucking polls.
0: See you next week,
2: everybody. Thanks, Emily.
0: Thank you, Nick. Thank you to my guests, Nick Bilton, and of course, Joe Hagen. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive. You can get these on Apple Podcasts, radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcast. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for the production work. And of course, thanks to my sponsors. Please support them the way you would support this podcast. We'll see you next week.